Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's the Civilized Barking Podcast, Zach Jackson and Jason Lloyd. Uh, Memorial Day weekend edition, Browns have started OTAs edition. I'm just catching you up on things edition. Jason, um, you know, usually after the draft, it's supposed to be quiet for in the NFL, right? For a team you cover or follow whatever um obviously the browns have signed up for a situation that <laughs> nothing is and so there there's actually several things going on and that's not um you know abnormal i think in the nfl you're always looking at the roster or especially when you're a team that thinks your your roster is good there's always a contract situation or something you're trying to get ahead of and we think the browns are good at that but you can't Watch the Browns practice as we did Wednesday. You can't talk about the Browns on the radio, on a podcast, at a Memorial Day cookout without the Deshaun Watson thing hanging over it. So I do have a little list of a couple other things here. But um, let's just talk about we were out there Wednesday. There wasn't a ton to see. That's pretty standard for the second OTA of 10. But we did see a new quarterback. We saw him throw the ball effortlessly. We did not hear him address the media. Um and we are waiting to know. I mean, it all, all things point to, and, and Roger Goodell finally said this on the record, we feel like a decision is coming sometime in the next three to six weeks on a suspension for Deshaun Watson. But we still don't know what that will be. And obviously that can go a long way towards determining um, how this season goes for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, you know, start with on the field first, I guess, when we were out there. And I, I was kind of glancing around and hadn't really watched Deshaun throw a ball. And you said, it just comes out of his hand different. And I started watching a little bit more closely. And it was like, holy crap. Yeah. You can see, I mean, listen, it's OTAs and it's summer and the weather, it's spring and the weather's good. And these guys are in shorts and helmets and, you know, it's not really a pass rush or anything like that, but uh, you can see, just the size of him, just the way he moves, the way he can throw the ball. You can see why the Browns signed up for some of the toxicity that they're in now. Strip calling, talking from a strictly football perspective. They felt like they needed to upgrade the quarterback position. They feel like they upgraded the quarterback position. They feel like they accomplished that. And there's a lot of muck and mess that they have to crawl through from here to September or October or whenever it is he gets on the field. But just watching him throw the football – you can see why they are so tantalized by what he can do. No doubt. No doubt. Um, then, you know, practice was open Wednesday morning. It was Tuesday night at 10 that the HBO thing aired. Um, that's going to go on. Look, I understand why the Browns are not making him available. You know, I completely understand the non-answers 
from Kevin Stefanski, as awkward as it is when he has to say, uh, no, I didn't watch it, but yeah, I read about it. I mean, of course they know what's going on, what's out there, right? They, they can't win this part of the PR battle. Um, now the questions are going to be the same for Deshaun as, as they were then, right? But um, you and I both have kind of talked to different people with some involvement in this going back to, well, shoot, I said last last Friday was two months since this trade was made. It feels like nine months or two years or 20 years. Right? It really does. It really does. Yeah, going back in that time, we had we had gathered in off-the-record conversations from various people with various involvement in this that that a decision on a suspension was always expected. And maybe that not a suspension was always expected, but, you know, that – that was kind of the general expectation, right? So anything you've heard and what you've dug into or who you've talked to that makes you alter your thinking at all, that sometime in the June 15th, June 25th range, we're going to get a memo from the NFL that says a suspension has been handed down and it's going to be X amount of games. Yeah, I keep saying just before the before the start of training camp, not just before this and days before. I mean, just in general, sometime before the start of training camp, I think you know the Browns are going to have clarity on on what this is going to look like. And to back up real quick, you know, I was I sort of cringed when Kevin said he didn't watch it because I thought, well, for all of the people, and there are a few, quite a few, who want to say that the Browns didn't take this seriously and they didn't look into. They never bothered to talk to Tony Busby, the attorney representing the women. They never talked to any of the accusers. They didn't know because they didn't want to know. They didn't care. This is ample fodder for you. Like you have, you have more gunpowder to put in your cannon now when the head coach says, I didn't watch it because you can say, see, it's right there in front of him. You didn't want to see it. Right. And I guess the only thing, the only thing I would say to that is there is nothing that happened, nothing on that show told us anything we did not already know. And I actually, I thought the most interesting thing of that about that was Tony Busby saying he didn't think the NFL took it serious. That I thought was, that raised my eyebrows a little bit. And aside from that, in terms of the, what was said on the show, you know, it felt like everything we've already known. And, and, and I said this on the radio, it, it sort of felt to me like that show is for people in Buffalo and Jacksonville and San Francisco and Kentucky, right. Louisiana, people who were not following the case that sort of brought them up to speed. But if you have been following this case closely at all, if you're a Browns fan or if you lived in Houston and you followed this, I don't think anything that was really said was a surprise to you. Therefore, it certainly was not a surprise to the Browns. And, and you know, they, I, I do believe them when they say they did their due diligence and they spoke to, you know, Rusty Hart and his associates and they collected all the information. The NFL investigated all of these women and spoke to all these women, it's not a very far bridge to cross to believe that the Browns could get those uh, interviews and notes on that. So I do believe that they know everything that there is to know about the case. So just just wanted to throw that out in terms of... Yeah, let, let me, let me cut you off right there because I think that's a key point, right? Whether it's HBO or whether it's the depositions or more importantly, it's in whomever that the NFL is talking to. And we know Deshaun spoke to them, and we heard Deshaun's attorney say he expe- he expects Deshaun to speak to them again. The key part from the Browns' perspective, from the football 2022 perspective, is that if there's nothing else out there that the Browns didn't already dig up or don't expect, then I think a fair statement, and again, not one we want to be locked into, 
is to, he will be suspended for four or six or eight games, right? Like the Browns had obviously a tolerance level to take this on. They obviously had a comfort level with what he, his side of the story is or what was on the record versus what's being accused. And if it's in that wheelhouse, then the Browns feel good about it. Is, is that a, is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, I think it's fair. I've, I've thought all along, and this isn't source or anything, it's just my opinion, watching, reading the NFL personal conduct policy and, you know, the baseline suspension for sexual misconduct is six games. And it goes up from there based on weapons and if there's children involved, minors or anything like that. And now, obviously, we're talking about 22 cases, which makes it a little bit different. I, I still believe it's six with the opportunity to knock it down to four or five on appeal. Now, the interesting thing, and I disagree with this, but the interesting thing, Rusty Harden, when I was in hosting, uh, I was hosting on 92.3 this week, and we had uh, Rusty Harden on the day right before the HBO show aired, and we had Tony Busby on the day after it aired. And Rusty believes of the 22, only three even fall into the NFL's code of conduct policy. And therefore, you know, any sort of suspension would be based on those three and not the 22. Now that's Rusty's interpretation. The NFL obviously can view this far different than his defense attorney. And I believe probably will, uh, because as you know, it's written so vaguely that anything falls under it. You can cut somebody off in traffic and they can suspend you for it if they, if they want to, but it's just an interesting point that he made that I, I just felt at least needed to be addressed. Even though I don't necessarily agree with it. Rusty believes only three of the 22 would fall under their policy, which if they did side with him and view it that way, you know, three is a, an awfully smaller number than 22 in terms of figuring out a suspension. Now, in terms of this is what's interesting to me, Zach, and I don't think I've talked to you about this yet. I was thinking about this the other day. I, I still believe they're going to settle. I don't see how you try 22 cases. It, it's just not feasible or logical. It will take years, especially when they're not going to start these until next year. Like this would hang over him the rest of his career. If he's if he really wants to try 22 separately, separate cases. So I still think logic indicates this is going to get settled. Now, the timing of that is interesting to me, because on on the one hand, if Deshaun settles now, the NFL is just wrapping up their investigation. If he were to settle now and, and it's worth noting, both Busby and Harden said that no settlement talks are ongoing right now. They've had them in the past and they were derailed for whatever reason for a couple different times. But nothing is, is being done now. And there is no talks of a settlement now. And I believe the reason for that is if Deshaun settles, why would he settle now when the NFL could use that against him when they're getting ready to rule? If he settles now, you say what you want. That is an admission of guilt on some level. And therefore, they could use that and, and stack an extra however many games on it. The flip side to that, the, why can't the NFL go to him and say, listen, we have all the information. Clean this up and get rid of it, and it will be three games, four games, five, whatever it is. If you don't settle these, if you embarrass us and take this to court, it's going to be substantially stiffer. They may not admit that publicly, but can they have that conversation with him? Yeah, you know, I don't know the answer there. I think you raise interesting and then obviously complicated questions as they all are around this. I mean, I think the court of the public opinion it has to weigh in the NFL's decision here, right? The the HB, like you said, the HBO show was not necessarily for people in Houston or Cleveland or Browns fans who feel either way about this, right? 
And so I just don't think that there's any way that this is a three or four game suspension. I, I think human nature says, and like you mentioned, the open-ended nature of the rules to start with. Human nature says the NFL is going to throw a hammer at them. And that doesn't mean, again, 12 games a year indefinite, right? I, what, what do you think? Do you think that I'm, that I'm on track with that too? Well, what do you mean by hammer? When I, mean, hammer, I, I mean, I mean that, that there's. Well, I guess maybe hammer wasn't the best choice. Maybe okay, there's a baseline minimum here of we're going to suspend. Like we we we've got enough to prove that he he violated the personal conduct policy, and given the optics of this and some of the details that are now very much out there, it has to be at least six. Yeah, and I think it will be. That's why I'm saying I think it's six, and then on appeal, maybe he gets one or two knocked down. But I do believe the initial baseline, I I think is six minimum. Yeah, unless, but again, that was the I just threw that out in terms of an NFL trying to spur on a settlement because they don't want to see this. The NFL, yeah, no, they don't want it. Right, they they would like it to go, and and they'll leave the Browns and Watson to deal with what happens in opposing stadiums and opposing parking lots and. Right, um, and that's one way the NFL can incentivize him to settle is by reducing the suspension to. Four, five, whatever, yeah. whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, um, th- that that certainly is interesting. But I think most fans are probably more in the here and now in terms of when are we going to have our quarterback, right? Because as embarrassing as this whole thing is, and as awkward as this whole thing is, and it's at least that, regardless of which side you're on, or if you're extremely to one side or the other, like to have some awkwardness in May and to have your team talked about for. Um, you know, two quarterbacks who probably one one certainly who won't be playing for this team anymore in Baker Mayfield and one who might not be for a while. The reality is, Jason, in week three, they have a national TV game against the Steelers that they need to win. And if Deshaun Watson's not there, it's it's bad. It's it's just it's just really bad. Right. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I want to talk some football and I want to make some time to do it now unless you have anything else. It's just this. This is the everything that we're dealing with, right? It's it's great that the Browns brought Clowney back. It was probably always going to happen. It's a sign that he believes. It's a sign that, you know, the organization is is believes in its roster and all of this. But there's Deshaun. Well, it's wide open at wide receiver. Well, but there's this Deshaun, right? Like, <laughs> And again, we got all summer for a lot of these things, but th- this is what it is. So let's, I, I think that's all I have to say on, on yeah. Deshaun for now. Right. Um, and I know if you did some hours of radio this week, then you really talked about it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've done yeah. about 12 hours this week on radio and yeah. internet talking about this. And I'm just, I'm just repackaging it for, for our purposes here. Um, but in terms of uh, Jadavian, maybe we'll circle back on to Sean if anything else triggers in my mind, but Jadavian, I guess, why do you think it took so long? Like Jadavian always takes his time on this. We know that. And, but even like last year, when he was coming to a new team, it was what? It was end of April. This was a month even later than that. And I just kind of thought he was going to set out OTAs and show up for training camp. And that's why I asked you, hey, was he at these last year? And you said, yeah, he was. And that kind of surprised me a little bit because I had no recollection. I had no memory of that. Uh, I think it was just the timing of getting the money right. Um, I think once they didn't do an initial agreement and once they knew that there wasn't going to be a strong suitor for Clowney otherwise – uh, and by that, I mean, you know, back in March 7th, March 17th in that range, 
it was like, okay, we, we have our priorities laid out, right? And for the Browns, it was Amari Cooper, it was the quarterback, and then it was everything else. And we saw that come together with Denzel Ward in early April. And I think it was a little bit of the timing of OTAs, although Clowney doesn't need it. I just think it's once the Browns got their other business in order and once things settled with, with the draft, it was like, okay, we always left a spot open for you. We always expected it. You've always asked for this much. We would prefer to pay you this much because you're 29 and you have an injury history. So let's meet in the middle and do this. It, it was always just the best the best fit for both parties, right? And, like, is. <laughs> It's a little weird to say that someone's found a home coming back to a place for a second year, but when you've played on four different teams in four years, then then a second year counts as a home, right? And people who evaluate football players for a living have told me this. You know, there are divided opinions on Clowney because of his effort at times, because of his expectations. You know, he got injured early in his career and he came in even before that famous hit on the Michigan running back, right? He came in with such high expectations. But there's no doubt in that community that people feel like the best version of Jadavian Clowney comes out when Miles Garrett's on the other side. And that's because he gets favorable matchups. That's because teams can't adjust that way. And that's because Clowney is just a brute force dude. And Miles can draw the attention and Miles can bend like people that size shouldn't even be able to begin to bend and Miles can have 18 sacks every year, right? But they become such a good team because it's just hard to find dudes like that, and their skill sets don't match, but they complement one another. And for a defense that's bringing back nine starters and 15 contributors, um, it was always a really good fit, and the Browns just have to hope he's worth every penny. Because if he plays the way he's capable of and he only misses one game via injury like he did last year, then they actually got a discount on this dude. I'd actually have to agree with that. I didn't want to see him go to a multi-year deal and tie him long-term. I don't think you can trust Jadavian long-term, but if you can continue to go week or year to year with him, uh, hey, listen, I was wrong. He was better than I thought he was going to be last year. I was I kept questioning four, four teams in four years. They lost Sheldon Richardson, who was a pretty good player along that defensive line. He was sort of the opportunity cost for bringing in Jadavian. You know, it was just a Jadavian signing. I thought, okay, fine, whatever, take a look at him. But then when it cost Sheldon, I thought, okay, well, now you better stay on the field and produce. And to his credit, he did. And can he do that again? We'll see. Uh, I, I think you bring up an excellent point, obviously, about having Miles on the other side. I think that's very appealing to him. I wonder, do you think the quarterback change played into his decision to come back at all? We know Baker was polarizing. It's the other side of the ball. I get that. But Baker was so polarizing in that locker room. If Baker returns as the quarterback, is Jadavian here? Uh, probably not, but I don't know. I mean, you know, for, for two years we weren't allowed in the building, so I, I can't speak on the locker room dynamic specifically to those two. I can tell you, you know, <laughs> we, we know it was. I think you just look at Connie. Of course he's going to play for a playoff team. Of course he's going to play for a team that sees him as a piece to help them get where they want to go and, and make those plays. So he, he has some history with Deshaun Watson. Um he was in the position to be picky, right? And for the Browns, it was like the draft went a certain way. Because of the way they structured his contract last year, he was already counting almost $4 million on the cap. Even with Baker, they had adjusted things and done things enough to make it so they could sign him. Like, it always just, just made the most sense. And I think probably at times they might have sweated some other team coming in with an offer, but... I just think the reputation is real that teams are hesitant to 
to commit too much to him. I, and again, he might not want a two or three year contract, right? Like that just hasn't been his nature. I mean, when I asked him about it repeatedly, he would say, yes, I've been around this league, but, but please know that that's been my choice and no one else's. So, um, you know, I think he looks at miles and says, Hey, this dude is awesome. And this dude makes me better. And he can help me show that I still always could have been this, you know? Um, yeah, he, he ran up those sacks at the end of the year and, and the two in the last game got him that bonus. Um, but guys, let's be honest. Jadavian Clowney has made a lot more than $250,000 in his career. A lot of times over, right? He's a paid hitman. He's really good at what he does. Um, and that leads me to this this football point on kind of where the Browns are. And again, these are these things we're not talking about because we're talking about the quarterback all the time. You've got a team that's bringing back almost everybody. Not Jarvis Landry, not J.C. Treader, not Austin Hooper. But Jason, nine guys and 15, nine starters listed and 15 guys on defense. Four offensive linemen, right? Um, the deepest running back group in the league made the move to get Amari Cooper, which is a short-term discount, and and we'll see, you know, how long they're paying for that. But this defense finished playing really well last year. Like, you just look at the football structure. This team was 8-9 and nine and missed the playoffs and was disappointing and was a circus in many ways. But these guys in charge looked and said, if we fix the passing game, we can win the Super Bowl. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Like, yeah. The- the two areas that separated the Browns from the Bengals were quarterback and kicking. Yeah. And theoretically they upgraded both. And, yeah, no doubt. and that's, and, and that's the team that went to the one, the AFC went to the Super Bowl. This, the talent on this team is unbelievable. I was talking to someone else in the air. I forget who it was on the sideline watching whatever day, all the days ran together. Now Wednesday, I guess two days ago, we were out there and said like, just look at the talent on this field that this on this roster that they've assembled. It takes more than talent to win in the NFL, but they've got the talent component covered uh, on no both sides of the ball. And to bring back nine starters on defense is almost unheard of in in today's cap issues. And and I, I, I so two things. I want to get to Njoku, but I want to just just now that we have now that we know Jadavian is back, just run through because I'm still curious what they're going to do at, at defensive tackle. So just run through as we stand here at the end of May what you project the two deep to be on the defensive line and if you foresee any other moves or if this is it at this point. Yeah, so it's Tavin Bryan and Jordan Elliott were the first two defensive tackles up, and that wasn't a surprise. They drafted Winfrey. They'll give him every shot. You know, in between those guys is Tommy, Tommy Togiai and Sheldon Day, both of whom are backups. That's just what they are. So I think Day thought he should be playing a little more last year, and they played the draft picks in front of him. You know, I think that's why Elliott's first in line. He's their draft pick. We'll see. But we're coming to a different phase of the team where they're going to have to pick the best players and not necessarily their own guys, right? So you have Clowney. You have Miles. They picked up Chase Winovich to try to win the designated pass rusher role, uh, Tack McKinley. He is not as good a player as Tack McKinley was. Um, can he do that? Can he help the Browns? Sure. Uh, he's in a contract year also. They brought in Steven Weatherly, who's played – you know, he's a backup defensive end in the league. That's what he is. I think he's 28. He's been around six or seven years. Uh, it's similar to the Malik Jackson signing. He's a guy we know we can get something out of, right? And then they draft Alex Wright in the third round. So, uh, you know, looks the part, has the skills, fit fit their mold, and they think he can give them something this year. Is it going to be right away? Is it going to be a bunch? Well, they hope not, for one. 
I mean, he's a 21-year-old kid who was playing at UAB. But again, that's why as soon as they drafted him, I'm like, yep, Clowney just went from 90% to 97% coming back because that's the perfect bridge, (laughs) right? So uh, when you look at this team, defensive tackle stands out as a weakness. It, It could be the weakest spot. It could be one of the weakest defensive tackle groups in the league. But that's this front office, they value pass rush out of the defensive tackles and they'll have one or two big guys who are in to play the run. Like they're, they're just not, they're just going to prioritize the other positions. That's what they've done. So they look around and say, okay, we got Jacob Phillips and Grand Delpit. It's time for them to take a leap. I'm still a little curious with the Troy Hill thing. It seems like a lot to put on Martin Emerson as a 21 year old rookie. When you know, Greedy Williams is going to get hurt. When you know, Warden Newsom aren't going to play 17 games. Right. So we'll see there. Um, but yeah, you're bringing back a lot of players on this defense, and you're saying we are really good at corner and pass rush, and that's what the best teams are. So, um, you know, it's brought back Anthony Walker because you know what he brings. Ideally, will he play 80, 85% of the snaps again? No. That's on Jacob Phillips to stay healthy. That's on JOK to take the leap that they think he'll take. Uh, you know, Clowney always being out there, not being in their pocket, I guess. I, I can't say that with authority is part of the thinking. But Jason, I think the other part is they feel like they hit absolute home runs last year with Greg Newsom and JOK, you know, both of whom fit their mold or 22 or Uber athletic or just getting started. Like they feel like they got a lot of cornerstones and those guys are only going to get better. So they were able to play the value game and bring in a developmental corner in Emerson and bring in a developmental rusher in Alex, Wright, Thinking that those guys in two years can be replacing someone else. But for now, like they feel good about the pipeline Obviously, it's it's hard to feel great about defensive tackle and in not knowing, you know, in the back end. But this comes down to off. This comes down to offense and can you pass it? And and when does Deshaun, you know, get comfortable? When is he eligible to play? And when does he get comfortable with his play callers and his receivers and all of that? But defensively, yeah, it, and it's not talked about enough, and not just because of Watson. Like you need the offense to win championships. But your defense should be able to take a leap, and it should be good enough to help you win a couple early if you have to play ugly ones or if you're going through some growing pains and stuff, which which you're going to be because it's not just a suspension. It's a lot of new pieces. I don't – Deshaun Watson is so talented. I don't worry about rust from not playing one bit or from people being in his head about what it's going to look like. I just think, in general, you never pick up where you leave off in offensive football, right? Continuity should help. And they finally have some. But when you change quarterbacks and you're remaking your receiving group, it just takes a while for play caller, passer, all of those things to get on the same page. And they hit that stride in the back half of 2020 with an average to above average talent at quarterback. They hit that stride in the back half of 2022 with Deshaun Watson. That's that's what they're saying. We can win the Super Bowl. The Njoku thing is interesting to me. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were a little surprised when they franchised him. Um, but as you've said a hundred times, it's supply and demand. There's just not a lot of good tight ends out there. And that's why you see guys who haven't played tight ends since high school being brought in on tryouts and getting looks at former college basketball players just because they're such a dearth of the position. And then for Njoku on top of the franchise tag that I can, I think you can argue, has he really earned that much? now is holding out for a new deal or it, just the skipping OTAs, which I guess is not, not really a holdout until we get to training camp, but he's interested in a new deal. And I told you, I, I guess he sees the leverage that he has and he's, he's applying it. Why would the Browns want to 
negotiate a multi-year deal with David. And maybe it is just a one-year deal, although I'd have to think it's a multi-year deal if he's on a one-year franchise tag and, and wants more than that. And the only thing I could come up with, and I guess th this ties into a, a broader conversation that we really haven't had yet. I know the cap is going up next year, but when I, it feels to me that next year is when the cap for the first time since the Browns returned in 1999, the, the cap is going to become a thing as early as, as next season. Is that correct? Especially when you consider what Deshaun's base salary is going to be when, when in year two of the steal. And then it, would that behoove the Browns? I mean, what if the Joku balls out this year under Watson? I have my doubts that's possible, but let's say he does. How much would they be saving by signing him to a multi-year deal now as opposed to, let's, let's just say Njoku has a really good year on a one-year deal. Now you have to go through this again next year. And now you've got cap constraints tying you down to that as well. Am I, am I close to something here? Or am I? Waiting? Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you ask really valid questions. Uh, I would say the first thing you have to do is take the word earned and throw it out the window on this discussion. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is the least accomplished player to ever get a franchise. <laughs> oh, is. man, I know coffee in my mouth when you said that. It is. It, he played 65% of the snaps for a shitty offense last year. Right. Like, yeah, he's he's yeah. been in different offenses. He was always two years away from being two years away. But, I mean, his production <laughs> has been inconsistent at best and mostly missing. Like, it just has. Why do you franchise him? Because some other team would have paid him this. Because nobody has tight ends because he doesn't turn 26 till July. And because you have brought him up. You took this on in picking him one spot before T.J. Watt <laughs> four years ago, five years ago. Um, and, and you're developing him now, right? But as far as the cap implications, you would like to get something done for a couple of reasons. One being you've, you've developed him and you think that he's going to be around. I mean, you think that his age 26 and 27 seasons will, will be good. Um, right now it's 11 million. It's one year. And that becomes locked and guaranteed if they don't do a deal by July 15th. But as far as the future, when you have to start thinking about it, yes. Um, you you would be doing this and saying we want him. We don't want any more of this stuff. We don't want him popping on social media anymore and requesting trades or celebrating fully guarantees of his tenders, which he also didn't deserve, right? Like we want him locked up in a part of this team and we want him to focus on being good and making the most of his opportunities. And like I said the other day, well, when you lot when you watch that Chargers game, that's why you got the franchise tag, Jason. Well, what other games should we watch to know that this guy can do it? Um, the Chargers game. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. so I, I I will tell you this. I told my peers, now I didn't say this to you, but but people who cover the team for other outlets who I know and respect at the Combine, and this was not a fourth beer conversation. This was right off the bat. I said, do not write that the franchise tag is an option. Maybe the transition tag, but they're not going to franchise David and Joker. And then a week later, boy, was I an idiot all over again, <laughs> right? So he's locked into that number. That's a semi-commitment. He's well within his rights to do this. It would be a much better look for him to do this, and it might be vital to his development. But I think the Browns knew all of this. You know, going back two years to the first offseason of Barry and Stefanski, they didn't really have to commit to him. They did. I mean, they paid more money to Austin Hooper than this. They got zero return on that investment. So you look and you mm -hmm. say, we need tight ends. The one thing that surprises me is that they didn't draft one. When they were using this draft to punt, 
to start with. They didn't draft one to add another guy to the pipeline. That's a lot of faith in Harrison Bryant. Maybe that'll be redeemed. You know, maybe Miller Forstall is going to be an NFL tight end. I don't know whether he is or isn't. Maybe the tight end is going to be mostly phased out and they're going to use Njoku to create matchups and think that, uh, you know, guys can't cover him and Watson's going to deliver him the ball in places that he just absolutely catches it. It's, I do, I do think they're high on Harrison Bryant. Like I've been told that, yeah. that they, they really like him and, and maybe this is the opportunity to clear the way to give him a larger role. Yeah, so it's, it's mystifying. It's one thing that stands out now as the theme of this whole podcast. When you separate yourself from the headlines and the uncertainty and you look and what stands out as head scratching. But like, I, I think this, this front office has earned a little bit of benefit of the doubt, specifically in the terms of long-term planning and where they want to be. And, you know, I think they want to get to answer your question, which I failed to do among this eight minute rant. <laughs> I think they don't want to be doing this again. I think they would like to get a deal done and have him under contract for at least two years guaranteed and, and quit doing this dance and quit saying maybe, or we'll see how it goes. Right. So maybe that happens because they've positioned themselves to do that. When you look at the long-term planning of this team and yes, the cap's going up, there's still a lot of money. They keep pushing down the road. Um, when you know you're going to have Deshaun Watson for that time. And when you think you're going to have Miles and Denzel and Newsom and JOK for all this time, and you think you're going to be a contender, that's fine. That's the cost of doing business, right? You're going to make these decisions all the time. So far, they've mostly made no-brainer decisions. But, you know, as they've done all of this, his 11 has been on the cap, which they can reduce by doing the new deal. They have done their Denzel Ward business, their clowny business, this trade, like he's there. He's set to be the starting tight end. He doesn't have to come to mandatory mini camp or training camp without, you know, signing a tender. But I think the goal of doing this was always to get something done. And I think before July 15th, they will. When is that? When, when do you think the first cat casualty will be for this franchise? When, when are they going to run out of space and time and kicking the can down the road? Well, we are have to look at next year's cap and see how much it goes up. Right. And just the nature of this, there's an Austin Hooper every year in free agency. That's just the nature of free agency. Like when they signed mm-hmm. Conklin and Hooper, I told you, history says one of these guys is a hit and one of them is a total bust. Yeah, yeah. You did. Right. Um, now, Conklin has not necessarily been a hit, but if Conklin comes back and is healthy, you know, then he's a part of the offensive line this year and, and the offensive line gets back to doing what it did. And like, you know, guys, Deshaun has never played with an offensive line and running game like this. Deshaun's last year in Houston, when he led the NFL in passing, he had a real crappy receiving core. Even though it's unsettled here. Bag boys. What does quarterback coach call them? Bag boys? Uh, They work with these guys that should be working at Walmart is what he said. Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, that's, that's kind of the nature here. But there's risk in taking it on. But, like I said, I do think what this what this front office is best at is long-term planning. I do feel like they got to a point where they said, look around, this should not be an eight and nine football team. It's not paid like one. It has not been drafted and built like one. It has not at times performed like one, like let's go address what we need to address and go for it. So I think when you get in that mode and when you do get up into that spending, you just kind of roll as you go. So eventually you need a Nick Harris, a fifth round pick to be a starter and to play for you, right? You need guys um, in your pipeline to develop 
and to play and, and to produce uh, at, at discounted rates. So, you know, is a move coming this summer with Dearness or with Kareem Hunt? You know, I don't know. Can you eventually trade Baker for a warm body, at least at tight end, at safety, at wide receiver, if you need one, as part of the deal? Probably, you know, once, once we get into that. I don't think there's any panic. And like I said, I think for as critical as I've been of David Njoku, and I've been right 100% of the freaking time, I think internally it's like, okay, this is not ideal, and the optics are bad, and there is some uncertainty that he'll run the right route or catch the ball when, when he's wide open and not covered by three guys. Cause he makes a lot more catches when he's covered by three guys than when he's wide open, but like, okay, we, we, we've known this is coming. We'll do this deal and we'll continue to roll with this guy. Well, we can't do a Browns podcast without talking about Baker, but you mentioned Nick Harris and I want to touch on that real quick. Do you have any concerns about the center position? Yeah. I mean, he's just small. He's just small. But one thing that I didn't really realize until I got there and started processing He's only played one game at center because J.C. got COVID. J.C. never missed a snap. But J.C. never practiced. So for two years, this guy has been in this offense, in this huddle, next to Joel, next to Teller. They drafted him because he's smart, because he's durable. Like, it's going to be a seamless transition. Is it a drop in experience and brains and productivity? Yes. But, like, it's as seamless a transition. And this is one of these places where this continuity – that this organization is starting to build should show up. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, sometimes in OTAs, like you don't want your guys to be there. You want other guys to show up and, and do it. Like this is big for Nick Harris. This is big for Martin Emerson, right? This is big for Jacob Phillips. These guys have to play and they have to show. And then, you know, should if Grant Delpit can stay healthy, can he be a good NFL player? Yes. Can he ever be a great one? We don't know. But – Having the same coaches, having the same system, having a chance to actually play and get better is the only way that it's going to happen. I'm just curious. What do you think if you got a, if you have one weak spot on the offensive line, where do you want it? Where can you cover easiest or best on if you have? And I'm not calling Nick Nick Harris a weakness by any means, but I'm just wondering. You know, he is the one that's an experience, and it just got me to thinking. If you did have one spot. Ideally, where would you want it to be? Where could you cover it? Yeah, that that's interesting about this this build, Jason, because we know this is an analytics-driven front office, right? And we know, like, specifically on defense, they're going to pay the edge. They're going to pay the corner. But on offense, they've paid the guards. They've paid running backs. That's, yeah. that's, that's out of the box. That's not what the analytics playbook says to do, right? So you'd probably want it at guard. But as I've always said for many, many years, when you have the quarterback, all of a sudden your third safety and your left guard um, who they are and what their experience level starts to become a little less important when you're looking at playing the Ravens on Sunday. And that's not to say that the Ravens won't exploit your weaknesses or that you can't plug in Ravens for chargers, bills, Bengals, whomever. Right. But like get the quarterback, he raises the level, the defense playing with the lead. Like the defense should have won that. Green Bay game for tried to win the Green Bay game for the Browns. They, they were wide open Packers DBs and Baker kept hitting them. Right. Like after that New England game, the Browns got undressed and embarrassed. And the offense stayed in the tank and the defense was brand new the rest of the year. The, the Sunday night game in Baltimore. That defensive yep. effort wins an NFL game nine out of ten times. Yep. I mean, yep. they picked off Lamar three or four times and didn't win the game. Yeah. So well, that's an easy transition. We, we we at least have to touch on on six. 
Uh, there's really obviously no new updates. You yelled at me last time because I said that we reached the point where they should just cut him. And you, you scolded me and said they did right by him when they picked up his fifth year option. Shut up, fool, and go away and don't ever ask that again. But I am going to ask that again because here's the thing. If, if you have to pick up $16 million of his salary or $15 million or whatever it is, why not go to him and say, listen, we're going to have to eat this money anyway. Give us back three or four million. You can go pick your spot. You can go wherever you want. Because what are you really getting? You know, you, you, you're the one who sort of coined the phrase, how many fifth rounders do you need? That's all you're going to get. And I know you, you just said, and you've mentioned this before, maybe you get a, a, a tight end or a linebacker or some sort of warm body for him in a player for player trade. But why not? Because I do, I still, I just wonder, and maybe the NFL is different from my experience with baseball and the NBA, but I just think players look around and, and players may look at the Browns and say, man, this dude was their starting quarterback. And look, look how they're doing them. And I just wonder if there comes a point when if you hold on to him through training camp or the start of training camp or whatever, you have eliminated any chance of him earning the starting job. If you make this trade in the, in the end of July or August or whatever, I don't see how he has an opportunity then to start. And maybe he's not going to give back $1 because he's not assured of anything beyond this year anyway, but I would have to think in endorsements and listen, this is a guy who all, who has always bet on himself and could think that he can earn that money back. And this is all a hypothetical conversation. I have no idea if he would give back $1 on that deal or not, but why not go to him and say, give us back $4 million and you can go pick your next spot. Because you can still get something for him. You really because think I hear you, you on the player reputation thing, but players don't like this guy. And because he's not giving back a dollar, he has no reason to. It's guaranteed. I don't know what his NFL future is. Like, here's how I see it. Sometime between next week and June 15th, every team across the league finishes its offseason program, right? Every schedule's different, but sometime in the next 21 days from right now, where we are, it finishes. There are five or six teams that could and probably will look at their quarterback situation and say, Baker Mayfield can play for us. Some of those will say Baker Mayfield can start for us. Most, if not all of those, and it could be bigger than five or six, would say Baker Mayfield upgrades the talent. Baker Mayfield's worth a look. However, of those teams, almost all of them cannot win the Super Bowl. So then you have to look in your long-term planning and you have to look at his reputation right? Then you have to look at what is the price. So in Carolina, where they have a win now situation because the coach will get fired otherwise, he might make that push. You know, in Seattle, where it's Drew Locke, who's only under contract for a year like Baker, and it's Geno Smith, who's a backup, and that's what he is. Maybe, maybe not, right? The Browns just feel confident. And again, no one has told me this directly. But this is from asking, and this is just reading the various rooms. The Browns feel confident that at some point, whether injury, underperformance, or whatever, there will be an opportunity for them to get something. They will have to pay half to 70-ish percent of the salary, but they will get something in return. They will get them off the books, and they will give Baker an opportunity then. I think if there really was a screaming opportunity right now, something would be done. I think if the Browns deep at their core thought that they had wronged Baker Mayfield in any way, they would do exactly what you said. I don't think either of those things are the case. And I think therefore we wait till June 15th, June 20th, August 20th to see like, 
Mason Rudolph's going to fall off the depth chart completely in Pittsburgh, right? Baker's a way better player than him. Yes. Right. But Mason has played and Mason makes like 2 million, maybe not even that. Also only under contract for one year. If you needed a guy to get you through a week of practice and two weeks of games and not completely embarrass himself, what would you do? Right. Like I just, I just don't, I think the Browns feel confident there will be a market. I don't think that they believe that there is one. And I don't think that they feel like they've wronged him at all. And I, and I completely agree. Like, I know it's awkward and I know it's on the outside and I know that everything he does is a lightning rod. Thank him for driving a lot of conversation on, on (laughs) this podcast for a long time. Right. (laughs) But like of the things that Andrew Barry's done wrong in his short tenure, of a Browns GM, I would fire off a lot of them. And there aren't a lot, but I would fire off as many as I could count on one hand before I ever got to thinking he's mishandled this. I don't think they've wronged Baker either. I want to be clear on that. Like I, I've said from the start as well, like they, they did exactly what they said they're going to do. Baker could say that they lied to him or whatever he said on that podcast, but that's simply not true. You know, the story as we all understand it was the Browns went to his representatives and said, we're going to try and upgrade with one of the elite guys. If we can't get them, you are the guy. That's exactly what they did. So I don't think that they've wronged him. I just, I just think that there's a measure of, Hey, listen, you did do a lot for us over the last however many years you did help raise us from the ashes and take us to a level that we had not been here before. So here you go. So it's not so much a make good of, boy, we really screwed you over. So here you go. It's just sort of like, you know, they, they did with Odell to a, to an extent last year of cutting him loose and letting him go wherever he wanted. And I understand there was zero trade market for him at the deadline, but it's just an odd look that they would do that for Odell and not do it for Baker and, and wind up shipping him off to somewhere else that maybe necessarily he doesn't want to go, but such is the nature of the NFL. Yeah. I, I just think that they, I don't think there's one ounce of them that says next March, if we, we get through this suspension and through this drama and we play well and we lose in the divisional round, say, right. I don't think there's one ounce of them that thinks that anything that went down with Odell last September or October or anything that's gone down with Baker over the last two months prevents them from getting that guy they really want next, next year. Yeah. So that's what it comes down to. And then that's the other overlooked thing here, Jason. They didn't get Deshaun for this year. This team is built to win, and the, the moves, as we've explained, say they're ready to win. But they got Deshaun Watson to be the quarterback of this team for a long time and to open a long window of championship contention. So They did. They did. But if this suspension is like the season, and I don't think it will be, but if it is, that is disastrous, and it oh, is an awful that is, for this franchise. That is. It, it, it changes the vibe. It changes the outlook. It changes the internal day-to-day thinking and turn how decision makers are viewed and how everything goes. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Somebody gets fired. I, I believe somebody gets fired. If he's out for the year, if they, if the NFL suspends him for a year, somebody made a vast, vast miscalculation. Yes. yes. Or, or and, and, somebody's did. Yeah. Because even internally, if they still believe in those guys, like externally, it would say, Hey, you, you told us you did the research. You told us you were confident in this. This is, you told us this guy was here to win games and he's not here for the games. Yeah. You know, but I'll also say, like, I know there's a lot of talk out there and, and some talking heads have continued to maintain that Baker could come back. Listen, I don't see any scenario 
at all on this universe where Baker Mayfield ever takes another snap for the Browns. I don't care if Deshaun's out the entire season. I don't, I just don't see a scenario where Baker's ever under center for this team ever. It is 0% right now. And even in the realm of crazy things happen in the NFL, like Odell coming back right now is 0%. Odell in three months coming back could be 3% or 6%. I don't see a Baker scenario ever getting over 1%. Like, no, there's too much that goes into the quarterback room and the trust involved. And it's been broken there. And again, I I don't think the Browns wronged Baker Mayfield at all. So think what you want. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Let's get out of here. It's been an hour or so. Yeah. Um, I got to drive to Detroit. Yeah. And, and listen, so this is supposed to be the quiet time. Um, I've reached out to a couple people as we continue to talk Watson and continue to talk some things. So through this OTA period, there'll be another podcast or two, but we'll see. And then we'll all um, rest up and wait on two things. One, the verdict from the NFL uh, and the independent arbiter, I guess. And then the start of training camp, which will be like the the last three or four days of July. So um, thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. We know you'll continue to do that. And we will talk to you soon. This has been Civilized Parking.